0: Well, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. um, There aren't that many verses. I'm going to read. It's from verse 31 to the end of the chapter. The title of the sermon here this morning is Peter's Ministry in Judea. Peter's Ministry in Judea. I'm going to read from Acts 9, 31, and, uh, and then we'll make a start. Let's hear what the Word of God has to say to us. Verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Ianus, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Ianis, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please, come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up, Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one man, Simon Atana. Simon Atana. Well, just remember that, Simon of because the next installment is going to be significant with that man Simon. Well, not so much Simon that Man at Tana, but he's in Caesarea, and what's about to happen after is that the gospel comes to the Gentiles. But we're sticking with this passage. The sermon title is Peter's Ministry at Ju- in Judea. Now, when we read the Word of God, we always face challenges. Do you find that as well? That... Um, and, and actually, the older you get, the more challenging it becomes. You know, when you're a younger Christian, you know, someone asks you a question. I remember being a young Christian and, uh, and, and someone asked me a question, why is there so much suffering in the world? And I can still remember my answer, you know, oh, I'll tell you why there's so much suffering and just gave him this simple answer. And a few years later, I thought, I have no idea why there's so much suffering in this world except God is in control. And The word of God, though, comes to us here. And if I was to say to someone, what does this passage teach us? The one thing that sticks out in our mind is this woman, Tabitha. She was raised from the dead. And that's what's mainly in our mind. And it's a great miracle. But really, what we learn from this is that, in what I've just read, is that Peter comes to prominence here. Peter comes to prominence. He's been in prominence throughout the book of Acts. He's kind of drifted into the background a little bit um, as we saw the Ethiopian unit converted. And then we saw the gospel go into the Samaritans. And then we saw that wonderful miracle of uh, Saul of Tarsus being converted. And Luke has researched very carefully the book of Acts and he's been very careful in here to teach the church then and the church today don't forget Judea. Why Judea? Because Jesus said, and Judea is the, the area surrounding Jerusalem uh, where the tribe of, uh, of Judah was from. And, and he says, don't forget Judah, the greater area. Why? Because Jesus says to the apostles you will be witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. Witnesses to what? Witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Witnesses that he's been raised from the dead. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And if that was a full stop, but it wasn't. He said also in, in Judea and also in Samaria and also to the end of the earth. Imagine that. And because Jesus said that, We are sat here this morning. Isn't that wonderful? That the gospel wasn't contained just in one area. Jesus said, no, go, go, go. And so the gospel always has to have an outward-moving dynamic. An outward-moving dynamic. And it does. And so here we see Peter, though, and it's one of the last times we're going to see Peter. We've got three headings for us. The first is the church in Judea the church in Judea, and uh, the second heading we'll go for is the church in Lydda, the church in Lydda, that's a town that's mentioned here, which is actually a Judean town, and the third heading is the church in Joppa, which is actually also a Judean town, where Tabitha was raised from the dead. So let's begin, really, we're mainly focusing on the ministry of Peter, but the faithfulness of the Lord in Judea, because in Acts chapter 9, 31, for the first heading, we've got the church in Judea. There's this really, really important summary statement here in Acts chapter 9, 31. What does the Holy Spirit give us? It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit it multiplied what a a verse and so we're focusing on one aspect of that verse, the church in Judea, it says the church throughout all Judea but notice Galilee is mentioned now which is in the northern part of Israel, the gospel is now penetrated across all of Galilee and all of Samaria. And we think from small beginnings on the day of Pentecost uh, with this 12 apostles, 120 gathered, and then we see around 3,000 added and then more added, so 5,000. And now what do we find here? That the church has now spread throughout all Judea. And... uh, you know, the, the the word all means all. It means, you know, all throughout the Gospels penetrating. Nobody can suppress it. It's just, it's just spreading all over the place. So we see these verses from Acts chapter 9, 31 to the end, is just a brief snapshot. It's a tiny window to see the spread of the Gospel. And it's a wonderful one. And we remember, don't we, Jesus gave a promise. What did he say? He said, I, that's Jesus, will build my, that's Jesus' church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And it wasn't just for the book of Acts. It's for all time and goes into eternity when the church will be gathered together for all eternity and kept together. But we're focusing on Judea here. He says the church throughout all Judea, we won't go too far on Galilee and Samaria, but what what was Jesus building? And it, and it is building. It says the church had peace. And it says, and being built up. He's building a church and he's building up the church. And he's building them up in peace. And we praise God for this statement here that the Lord's purpose for the church is for peace. And of course, the one of the main obstacles to peace at that time had been a man called Saul of Tarsus. And praise God, he's now converted. He's a Christian, much to the anger now of of the Pharisees and all the Jews. You know, why have you become a Christian? And he's taken off the scene and the church now has peace. But it, it has more. It also says, and the church, including in Judea, and this is The background of what Peter's going to be preaching into it says the church were walking in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. How did this begin? Well, remember on that day of Pentecost, there would have been people stopping in different homes in Judea uh, who may have had family members, and some of those would have been converted and and brought the name of Jesus and the gospel and, and testifying about the resurrection to people living in Judea so that now throughout Judea not every individual we know that's not the case persecution continued but the gospel spread all around Judea and people the church were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit that's what Jesus was doing he was comforting and we would pray that that people would be comforted today, that people would be encouraged to walk in the fear of the Lord and that the Lord would give peace to his church. Comfort means edification. But notice this one little word before we move to our next heading. It's a one little phrase. It says, and the church, and this includes in Judea, it multiplied. Now, some of you are learning basic maths. And... Uh, Inika taught me some maths yesterday. She's probably passing this on to the young people at this young people's camp. I just overheard the conversation. It was one plus one plus one equals one. I thought, did I mishear her? There, I was in the fridge, and I, she said again, one plus one plus one equals one. And apparently, I think it was her parents or someone taught her. That's that's an example of the Trinity. So. Uh, because one plus one plus one equals three. But the thing is here, what we see is that the church is no longer simply being added to. The Holy Spirit is so powerfully at work that the church is multiplying. Don't we desire that in our nation? I mean, I mean added would be fantastic. If two people were added, we'd, we'd say, praise God. But not just two people, because God has not changed. And here we see... God was pouring out his spirit, so the church multiplied And God hasn't finished with his church. He will continue to build it through every age, and there's different seasons and ebbs and flows, but our vision, our horizon is, is stirred up here. It's encouraged to see the possibility of God multiplying in his church as he did there. We remember in Acts 2, 40, Acts 2, I think it's 42 or near there, 47, the Lord was adding to the church daily. But here it says the church is being multiplied. So that's the context that Peter's going into. And our second heading is the church at Lydda. The church at Lydda. Here's Jerusalem, here's Lydda, and then on the coast is another town called Joppa. And it says in our second heading, the church at Lydda, verse 32, now as Peter went here and there, Among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. Now, unless you have a bit of a a, a Bible atlas of the geography, you wouldn't know, but but Lydda is in Judea. Lydda is in Judea, and Peter is now ministering the word of God. He doesn't tell us that Peter brought the word of God. It's telling us that there were saints already there, there was a church already there, in Lydda, it says, Now as Peter went here and there, that's in Judea, among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there he found a man named Ianus, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And we'll come back to that in a moment. So he's going here and there, preaching, edifying the church, building the church up, uh, which was part of Peter's ministry and part of the, uh, the ministry today for the church to be built up. But did you notice one little word there? It says here, uh, verse uh, 32, he came down to the saints. That's an interesting word. And it's something of a, a new word that Luke begins to use to describe what we would call today Christians. That word Christians we don't find until a bit later in the book of Acts. So here we find the word saints. Uh, well, what does saints mean? It's describing followers of Christ, and, and Luke is introducing this. It's, it's actually first found at the beginning of chapter 9, before the conversion uh, of Saul, it says in 9.1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if, if he found any belonging to the way. So Christianity was called those belonging to the way. But when Ananias was asked to go and pray for him, uh, Ananias said to the Lord, he, he, said, he said this to him, he said, verse 10 Now there was a disciple, at Anani- a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said, Rise and go to the street called Straight and, and pray for Saul. Ananias answered, verse 13 Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints. Jerusalem, and that's the first time we get that appearance of that name there of believers of followers of Christ to be called saints. What does the word saint mean? Well, the Greek word is more helpful. I don't know where saint has come from. Um, We certainly don't refer to Saint Peter, by the way. We, you know, sometimes people refer, you know, I'm preaching from. St. Peter's first book or whatever. We don't refer to Paul as Saint Paul because anybody who's washed with the blood of Jesus is a saint. But the word saint means, it's from the word holy. It's a holy one. And it means uh, something set apart for dedication or someone for the expectations of a deity. In this case, it's the God who made the heavens and the earth. So if you profess to be a Christian, then you're professing to be a saint, which is a holy one, someone set apart for the purpose and plans of Jesus Christ. And so that's the behavior that's expected by people who are dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. We find this word saint now in verse 32. As Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the holy ones, to the saints who lived at Lydda. And again in 941 in Joppa, we get the word saints again. So it's a privilege for me today to be preaching to saints or holy ones. But at the same time, when we know what the meaning is, it's it's searching for us, isn't it? Do, we, do you and I, do we live our lives as holy ones? Knowing that that's what it means to be a Christian, do we, are we still living our lives as ones set apart in the gospel for Jesus Christ? It's interesting in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, it's a very appropriate metaphor and because later on the Jewish Christians, which included Judea, they were not where they were when Peter was preaching now. And he, he warns the church against drifting. And and drifting is interesting in this holiday period because uh, people can go on their lilo at the seaside and, fo- and it's been known and it's tragic that People have fallen asleep on their lilo and it's drifted out to sea and they've woken up and I only heard a story recently this person who who woke up and they they died far out at sea. Drifting. Hebrews chapter 2 warns of drifting. Is there anybody here that if you look at yourself that you may be drifting from the purposes of the Lord? You may have at one stage been really zealous for the Lord, but now you're drifting. And another word for drifting is probably the word erosion. You know, we have cliffs. I don't really know them, but I think they may be in Filey or somewhere in Yorkshire. And every now and again, I look north, you know, they, they come on and say this, this house has just collapsed and gone into the sea. I don't know uh, whether it is literally houses, but the erosion doesn't happen overnight. But nonetheless, Peter's there to give testimony to the resurrection of Jesus, and there's this man, Ianus, bedridden. We don't know if he's a member of the church or not, but eight years, remember, eight years. Imagine being paralyzed for eight years. And then this apostle, Peter, comes, and what does he say in verse 34? In Judea, Peter said to him, Ianus, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise, and make your bed what do we learn and immediately and immediately he rose if you're familiar with mark's gospel you get the word immediately all the time regarding the ministry of jesus and now peter is saying ianus is not saying i heal you he says jesus christ heals you and the holy spirit holds good to what the apostle says and he is instantly healed. And this bedridden man is restored. And what are we, what are we learning? We, what we see here is that the testimony is of the resurrection of Jesus. Because if Jesus is dead, he will continue to lie on that bed. And say, so, well, what are you trying to tell me, Peter? I'm still lying here. Well, that's not the case. Here is a testimony of the resurrection of Jesus... Because Jesus resurrected, and here is proof that this man is healed in the name of Jesus Christ. But because there are no longer any apostles, we're not in the church to be going around thinking, that's a good idea. Uh, my uncle, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's not doing very well, I'm going to go and see him and I'm going to start and copy Peter. Well, it won't be a good idea, believe me. This is an apostle in the name of the Lord doing remarkable things. And the testimony goes out. And, and what's the fruit here in, in Lida? It says in verse 35, this Judean town and all the residents of Lida and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. They saw him and they turned to the Lord. Now we know elsewhere in Scripture that just because people see a miracle doesn't mean that they will be turning to the Lord. That doesn't mean that whatsoever. But if the Holy Spirit's at work, not only for people to see the miracle as here, but God's at work, that they, they turn to the Lord. And the most important thing for a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, is that we turn to the Lord, that we turn away from anything we may be trusting in. I mean, yesterday was the beginning of the premiership, or maybe it was the day before. I'm not sure. Maybe Friday, but the football season,ing you know, and everyone saying it's so wonderful that we're back. Football's back. We're back, you know. And the, the raucousness of people, just you know, the the noise of celebrating football. And you think how many of those people have turned the lord what a sad state our nation is in that so few at the moment are turning to the lord turning means you change your direction you know when you have your driving test and the examiner says you know i want you to turn left here and go towards maltby and i want you to turn right and go towards Bawtry, and then you know whatever they say it means you change your direction these people by the holy spirit And this testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the healing of this man, they turned to the Lord. May the Lord give us a real hunger to see that by the work of God. Our third and last heading is this. It's the church in Joppa. The church in Joppa. Joppa is on the coast. If you look on a map, Caesarea is here and a bit further down is Joppa. Now, most of us know Joppa because of the healing of Tabitha. But uh, what do we find here? We find in verse 36, now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Did you notice one small thing there? We've got the name saint or holy one to describe Christians in Acts chapter 9. And here a new word, well it's not new, it's actually being used a lot already, but this other title, it says, Now there was in Joppa a disciple, a disciple of the Lord. So another name for the church are saints, disciples of the Lord, and here it's the word disciple. Disciple we find it a lot in Acts chapter 6. So Luke deliberately in Judea describes this woman and others as saints where the church was, but also as disciples of the Lord. So before we look at this second miracle of the resurrection of Jesus, let's just think about this title for a moment. Uh, Christians in Judea here were being described as disciples of the lord which is deliberate why because jesus said in matthew 28 and i'm sure some of you have memorized it go and make disciples and disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and teaching them and so we get this sandwich really that teaching is at the heart of of discipleship, which is slightly different to conversion. When people turn to the Lord, they turn to the Lord, and if it's a genuine work of the Holy Spirit, they will become disciples of the Lord. So what does disciple mean? You know, for those of us who are parents, it's like the difference in the joy of the child being born versus raising the child. You know, what joy it was when Samuel came out into this world and what joy it was. This young little boy, he looked so innocent. You know, it looks as if butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. But a few years later, uh, the butter has long since gone and he's having to be discipled uh, in the ways of God. And same for all of us. When we're born again, we're born again into a lifelong process which is to be a disciple and to be added to the church. The word disciple means someone who is, who is taught. Disciple means a pupil, one who is attached to a teacher, but it's always used in reference to followers of Jesus Christ. And to be a disciple means you have to be teachable and to be taught. Wouldn't we love to have Caleb in the church here? You know, we could almost imagine Caleb, uh, you know, he would, if he was a New Testament Christian, you know, be on the front row at 85 with his Bible wide open, his mouth wide open, and just drinking in the word of God. How is your hunger for the Lord? Are you still a disciple, one who is teachable, or has any hardness of heart crept in? Tabitha was described as a disciple. The name simply, by the way, Tabitha, was also translated Dorcas, Uh, whether the name is in Aramaic or Greek, it simply means a deer or a gazelle. But this disciple the Lord dies. This disciple dies. And what does the church do? It says in verse 38, since Lither was near Joppa, the disciples, the church over there, the disciples in Joppa, Uh, They heard that Peter was there so they sent two men urging him Peter, Peter (sighs) why Peter? Well they'd also heard that there'd been times when people were getting healed through Peter's ministry in a remarkable way as this apostle of Jesus Christ and so when they came to Peter what did Peter do? In verse 39 he rose and he went with them and when he arrived they took him to the upper room the upper room The upper room isn't the upper room in Jerusalem. It's simply on a two-story house where you would put, in this case, a, a dead person. Maybe a bedroom, we don't know. But Peter went into this upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping, showing the tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. And Peter put them all outside. Well, that's a bit rude, isn't it? All these mourners, imagine turning up at a you know some' going kind to of awaken them and then putting them all out outside. Why did Peter do that? Well, one, he's copying his master Jesus. Clearly the Holy Spirit's leading him because in the ministry of Jesus, how many times do we find that somebody is raised from the dead? And the answer is three times. Remember the ruler's uh, daughter, and Jesus says... To her, Teletha Kumai, little girl, I say to you, Arise, and she's raised from the dead. Remember the young boy in the coffin, uh, and Jesus raises him from the dead, and then we don't forget Lazarus. And in one occasion, uh, Jesus takes Peter and two other disciples with him, and he, and he puts people outside. So Peter is putting people outside, and he says here, It says, Peter, verse 40, put them all outside and he knelt down and prayed. Wouldn't you kneel down and pray? You know, he's a human being, he's an apostle, but he's not Jesus. Peter is not Jesus. And I'm just thinking this morning, I've got to say this while we're dealing with Peter, that Peter is not the first pope. Peter is not the first ruler over the whole church all over the world that teaching is nonsense but as i thought about that in my notes i thought boy i felt nervous saying that the idea of papacy and peter being the first pope is nonsense i thought i thought praise god how much progress there has been if i was to preach just a few hundred years ago in this country that the idea that Peter was the first pope is nonsense, I would be probably killed as a preacher. Because remember, if you denied, remember Mary, bloody Mary as she's known, and the issue was about the Lord's Supper and the Roman Catholic Church said that the, the bread and the wine turns literally to the body of Jesus and if you denied that and preached against it, You could be killed as a preacher. So I thought, how far the church has come for me to even say that? But back to this passage, Peter kneels down and he prays. Then he turns the body and says, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling who? Who did he call? All the saints. He called the church and the widows and he presented her alive. And so we see in these two Judean towns testimonies of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in Judea. What a testimony of Peter, though, kneeling down and praying of sincere, heartfelt prayer. Me, I didn't, it's not part of my notes, but let me just ask you a quick question. And this is for children as well. Don't think, well, it's mummy and daddy's job to pray, not mine. But when was the last time you prayed on your knees? I'll leave that question hanging there because there's a hymn by William Cooper and it's based on verses like this, that Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint, upon his knees. Peter was an apostle, but he didn't see him so great that he couldn't get on his knees and pray. And clearly, it wasn't Peter that raised Tabitha. It was the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And so in verse 42, as we come to a close, it says, And it became known throughout all Joppa, this Judean town, and many believed in the Lord. Again, we're just seeing the gospel just spreading all through Judea just as Jesus said it would. And many believed in the Lord. And the church there was growing further in Joppa, growing in Lida, and growing through all Judea. But there's one other reason why we're finding this here. It's not simply the fulfillment of what Jesus said, which it is. But if you remember later as the gospel spreads, the church in Judea faced persecution, bitter persecution. They also faced real difficulties. And the church, the Gentile church all over the place were being asked by the Apostle Paul to put aside support to help the poor Judean saints. And so here we see in the book of Acts, which would have been a book that would have been spread in the church, something of the testimony of the church in Judea and then we see that Peter stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon the Tanner we learn of his ministry to the Gentiles next and then Peter begins to fade off the scene as Paul begins to take prominence so as we close this morning from this sermon from Acts chapter 9 to summarize we get this word saints that's there saints which means holy ones to describe you as a Christian and to describe anybody who's a Christian, that we are to be described as, the Bible does, as holy ones. And that's how we're to live. Secondly, we're described as disciples of the Lord. We're pupils. We're to be teachable and to be taught all the days of our lives and to be aware of the danger of drifting away from that. Thirdly, we see these are testimonies of the resurrection of Jesus. We see a a real exhortation to prayer in verse 40 that Peter kneels down and prays. He kneels down and prays. And as we close, may the Lord enlarge our vision as we see in Acts 9.31 that God brought comfort and peace to the church and it multiplied. Let us not be in a doom and gloom trough of despond, which would be easy, or even worse still, we can just fall into unbelief because of what we see with our eyes, but let's lift our eyes to heaven and say, Lord, will you cause your church to multiply again in England? Will you cause your church to multiply again in our land?